Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> you forget which space station? <laughs> it's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. See, what I was trying to do is like step down with each word. And I don't have a lot of vocal range. I don't know if oh, yeah. you know this about me. I'm very monotone. You're no Avery Brooks. Not at all. You don't say Deep Space Nine when you introduce the show. <laughs> Great Avery Brooks impression, Ben. <laughs> We've gotten in a lot of trouble for impressions on this show, but uh, yeah, good job by you. <laughs> I mean, I was mostly doing the kind of song that they're singing at the end not not Avery Brooks in and of himself you got to be careful when you ask a a cast member to do a singing scene right boy you sure do are you uh, are you someone who sings you you a big singer you you karaoke I uh I sing in the shower and that's pretty much the only place I sing and I pretty much sing one song which is WAP which is uh, Go Down Moses Way Down in Egypt Land uh, but I just put my dog's name everywhere there's a noun <laughs> Go Down Darwin Way Down in Darwin Land Tell old Darwin Let my Darwin go and then, like, you know, it sounds good because it's got all the reverb of the shower. You got some great pipes, <laughs> Ben. That sounded very pleasant. You're a singer, right? You do a karaoke or two. I do karaoke specifically because I'm not a good singer. A karaoke <laughs> is a safe place for bad singers. <laughs> but I do, like, the, the performance aspect of it is the thing that's fun, right? That's the fun of karaoke for even a person who can't sing. I love being on stage with with you especially like uh our live shows are something i've really really missed in 2020 and yeah. i can't wait to get back but when i do karaoke it fucking shreds my nerves like right before the lockdown started you and i were on a palm springs birthday hang for a friend of ours and i did one karaoke number and i i like i needed like half an hour to recover <laughs> That's why you left immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was our constant references to the great dinner we were involved in that <laughs> yeah. evening. The references to how good the pasta salad uh, were uh, definitely buoyed my spirits that night. Nothing like a pasta salad for uh, for a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I always said that. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, this show, like more than any other Star Trek, I think, has quite a bit of singing especially in this last season uh we talked about them throwing some song to faith saley and discovering that she was fucking awesome at singing i think that's emblematic of this idea though of like well we wrote a thing hopefully the <laughs> cast can carry it <laughs> holy shit it turns out they can yeah that that seems to be a like why would you risk that right is my question it's like they they threw an impossible shot the first time and now they like think that they are amazing at this 
Yeah. And and then they throw an impossible shot the second time. God damn it. They're pretty good. <laughs> well, Adam, we got to review this thing before I find out if this episode sang to you. Do you want to get mm. into episode 15 of season 7 of Deep Space 9? You're talking about bada bing, bada bang. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. That's the one. I tried to Tin Man that. Tin Man. <laughs> bang is is Tin Man. Tin Man. Bada bang. Bada big boom. Big bada boom. That one ensign from a couple episodes ago, not invited to the Alamo. But Vic Fontaine, <laughs> totally invited. Yeah. What's that about? Are they do have O'Brien and Bashir realized that they're preciousness about their stupid Alamo program is maybe unfair to everyone and they and they are this is like a baby step to starting to invite other people like well we'll invite our our hologram friend I think the depraved things they do in the hollow suite with coonskin caps <laughs> is fine for a hollow suite generated audience and that's what Vic Fontaine is Vic Fontaine is of the hollow suite so yeah. I guess what would be the difference? I don't look good in fuck skin. <laughs> he is turning them down, though. He does not want to participate in that program. He he gives back their hat and uh, immediately purels his hands, and he goes up to uh, sing them a song about a, a cr- I didn't know this existed a crooner song about the Alamo. That's fun. Yeah. They fucking love it, too. O'Brien and Bashir are loving this. And then the holodeck glitches and the tone of the room changes. It's the same room, but it's like, you know, it's suddenly full of jerks. And the decor is much darker and grimier looking. People are smoking. The band's playing a different kind of music. There's burlesque dancers strutting out onto the stage. And everybody wants Vic Fontaine off. And I felt I felt like they they made this moment last a really long time, like this deeply uncomfortable, like Vic, the coolest the coolest cat there is, is suddenly upended and in a environment he doesn't understand, being jeered at. And uh, I thought I thought it was really nicely done. I don't like the association of burlesque with an unsavory type of person. I think burlesque is a beautiful art form. I don't like what this episode is saying about it. Wow. I've never actually seen a burlesque show, so I only know it from movies and television. I felt like uh, one of the things that seemed to be part of the appeal was that it was a little bit grimy. I mean, my interest in burlesque is a big reason why I can make my tassels (laughs) counter-rotate. Look, I'm doing it right now. Hey, that's really good. Oh, the people on the live stream are going to love that. Oh, I, one of uh, them hit the keyboard, and I had to restart the record. Oh, shit. Okay. We'll have to resync. <laughs> okay. It's interesting that you can do that, and then and then you denigrate your own singing ability. You know? I know. Anyways, uh, somebody comes in to the bar that Vic knows, and this kind of pours a further bucket of ice water on the, on the affair. It's Frankie Eyes, Adam. Frankie Eyes is a... A dude that we don't like. We don't like him because Vic fears him. Yeah. We get, I believe for the very first time, Vic eyes to theme here. Yeah. It's like lapel grab Vic eyes. Uh Uh-huh. Not a great way to start your hollow day, I guess. (laughs) Mm. 
we need an org chart for this casino because the story we're given here is that uh, Mr. Eyes has taken possession of the casino thanks to an investment by a backer, Mr. Mm -hmm. Zemo. But I thought that Vic was doing so well on the business side of the hotel and casino that, like, like what was your understanding of Vic's place in the workplace? Because I thought I thought he would be untouchable. Right, if he's the owner of and like building a new casino. But I, th- I think that the logic here is that this was like a pre-programmed thing that you could like encounter in the yeah. in the game and the game maybe didn't doesn't care about previous continuity yeah maybe the game rewrote that part or or ignores it completely in favor of this new this new skin i yeah. guess this jack-in-the-box skin yeah this is a mystery that bashir and o'brien need to unravel because at ops a set that still exists ben <laughs> i was shocked and delighted to see they hadn't <laughs> scrapped it uh, the gang needs to figure this out because they don't like this new program. They like the old Vic Fontaine program. And Felix, the designer of the Vic Fontaine program, what he does to keep things fresh, like any relationship, Ben, you gotta you gotta fill it with some unexpected moments. Yeah. And so Felix has has put this Jack in the Box into the Vic Fontaine program to keep it from becoming boring. This scene is maybe just here to remind us that Ops exists and also that Worf exists and then and no other reasons. I neither like him nor dislike him. Right. Couldn't they have had this conversation anywhere else? There's kind of a Chekhov's Worf thing being established here because I expected Worf to be a part of this story later on at yeah. any point. Like I, when they're conceiving of the heist and all that, I'm like, Worf is going to cut someone's head off in this casino. <laughs> and that moment never comes. Perhaps today is a good day to lose at Gow. <laughs> <laughs> casino War, a warrior's game. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Like, <laughs> Here's the sea story. Worf gets a little too involved in the setting for the heist that he can't do his mission. He's uh-huh. addicted to gambling like Brandon Walsh in 90210. Oh, wow. That would hit be great. Me. No, I mean literally hit me. <laughs> it's actually Chekhov's Cisco as it would happen because Cisco mm. is also there to kind of shit talk their... You know, he's like, uh, I kind of thought we were here to work, but you guys seem to be talking about your video games back at home. You got time to lean, you got time to clean, buddy, all right? There is a vanity of Holosuite programs playing out here, too, because come on, Cisco, your obsession with baseball is equal to the obsession with Vic Fontaine's program. Yeah, this is like, like my wife famously has said that she will never play a video game in her life. And I kind of called her on it the other day. I was like, you play the New York Times crossword puzzle app every single day. And I would call that a video game. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, like if it's baseball, it's not a, it's not a video game to Cisco. Right. It's very uh, old Cisco yells at cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he kind of gets called on his shit too, right? Because he, he has a dinner with Cassidy Yates and she is just as intrigued by this hollow suite program as anybody else on the station and he's like what you're into that shit with those nerds I thought you were cool maybe that's part of the attraction 
I was jolted by the composition of the frame around Cisco. It looked to me like he was sitting on a throne, the way that the replicator <laughs> is shot behind his head. It's it's so symmetrical. It made it look like he was sitting in a seat with a tall back. Did you get that vibe? I, It was distracting in a weird way. I'm looking at it now and uh, I see what you mean. They parallax it a little bit as the scene goes on so that you don't it doesn't look that way anymore, but establishing shot wise, I, I was like, Cisco's a big boy sitting in the big chair. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he sits in front of the replicator to really accentuate the fact that he is serving Cassidy a home cooked meal. Your daddy would be proud. And no matter how much Cassidy wants something out of the replicator, she'll have to get through him first. Yeah, you'll have to come through me. <laughs> Cisco wants to talk about anything else besides this, and it sounds like there's something to it that's a little more than Cisco believing that this is nerd shit. Like, he, he's he's trying to cover up some stronger feelings, I think. Right. And not starting a fight, he kind of just puts a damper on the mood of the entire evening. Like, there will be a reckoning for whatever was, was left unsaid here. He definitely pulls an Adam Pranica in this moment. <laughs> Uh, that was a really big pop, Ben. I was sort of expecting uh, a, a normal. What? What are you talking that. about, Adam? You never do that. I'm gonna have to do some soul searching, I guess. I'm drinking a nice glass of the uh, Mero Mero Mezcal that you got me. How uh, is it? It's really good. Oh, that's good. Maybe maybe I'm getting a little tipsy. Who knows? Golden the Golden So. Back on the hollow suite, Bashir and O'Brien find Vic all fucked up. Did you notice that the uh, that the numbers on the door to his room were just like the kind of address numbers you put on the side of your house, <laughs> nailed to a piece of foam core? <laughs> I love it. A lot of the casino set feels very temp. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this hallway could just be like one of the bungalows on the studio backlot that they put like one sort of art deco wall sconce in and and put one number on the door and they're like it's the hotel (laughs) yeah i think the production nerd in me would have liked to have seen the movie magic of this because i imagine it's a very tiny bit of set Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the the stakes of the episode are established here in this conversation if if bashir o'brien and the gang aren't able to neutralize this frankie eyes threat then Vic's going to continue getting hurt, or maybe even killed, if that's possible. The good news is, your skull is still in one piece. I think this is a really interesting episode from a stakes standpoint, because the character who is in peril is a imaginary person, and they haven't like really gone into the, phys- the metaphysics of Vic on uh-huh. this show in the way that they do with Moriarty in TNG and and with like data like like but he's like he's very real to a lot of them and there's a lot of discussion of how he's real to them but they never take the next step up and go like well if he's real to all of us is there like an ethical problem with XYZ or like yeah it's interesting because they put those factors into Vic's dialogue I think they very briefly say well we can't reset the program because it will erase Vic's memory and that would be tantamount right. to to murdering him and that's about all the credence they give it yeah and 
I think it's so interesting because none of the rest of the cast is at any risk in this episode. Like, they're still in a hollow suite game. Not only are they not in any risk, but they all agree upon the rules of this game. In, right. If it, if it were to be considered a game. Like, O'Brien doesn't go get a bunch of phaser rifles for the group, and they don't go in there and shoot Frankie Eyes in the head like they could at any moment. Right. They play by the Hollow Suites rules. Like they have to win on in the on the terms of the game, and that's like it's it's surprising that after seven seasons of TNG, having the holodeck safety protocols get accidentally turned off or whatever, they never did a storyline quite like this. Death is never on the line in the zip, unless you're Vic and yeah. He is a he, he is a fun like character to run to the rescue of. Everyone gets to play this game. This is a MMORG, I guess. <laughs> Everyone's here. The whole gang is here. Uh, Odo and Kira are the first participants that aren't Bashir and O'Brien, I think. Yeah. Odo was shockingly horny in this scene. They walk in and he sees the sexy ladies up on the stage and Kira's like, all right, have your fun, you horn dog you. I'm going to go walk around and get the lay of the land. You could just watch all the all the eye candy up there, all those ladies shifting shape. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with a little window shopping, if you're Odo, I guess. <laughs> but Kira, in her own right, is having her own kind of fun. Yeah, that's true. But, like, he doesn't have the same biology as anyone. Like, But this really gets his, his like, I don't have blood, but if I did, it would be pumping intensely right now. <laughs> I mean, you know... You know who could easily counter-rotate his tassels is Odo. I mean, that's nothing to him. Yeah. I don't even have to move my waist. <laughs> this is, uh, like, the fun of Odo in a episode like this is embodied in that close-up bar magic scene. Like, yeah. Like, the agreements that Odo makes with the rules of this thing are maybe like the top line rule. If Odo is obeying the rules of this story as it exists on the holodeck, knowing that he could do anything and all he does literally is is play a little Mr. Stretch game with his hand, <laughs> like the restraint that he treats it, I think is what teaches us, the viewer, that everyone else is gonna fall in a line with respect to the rules here, like him. Right. Uh, he, meet, he meets uh, Chi-Chi, who is the... Uh, he's kind of the muscle that that Eyes has brought with him, and uh, and so they're starting to like form relationships. And the other relationship getting formed is Kira and and Frankie Eyes, who spots her playing twenty one at a table and getting dealt a card that busts her. And he he goes up to the croupier and and like scolds him for dealing kira a card that would not get her to 21 what kind of card does that to give such a pretty lady the croupier really does not get this it takes him like three tries to pick pick up what frankie eyes is putting down what's wrong with you again yeah that's not how blackjack works it's not how any of this works yeah but if you own the casino or are the proxy for the person that owns the casino right i guess you have a little latitude there the rules don't apply to frankie eyes the banter between him and Kira is straight out of a 50s movie. Yeah. And I thought I thought it was a nice uh, writing flourish. The writing for this dialogue has got to be a real treat. And uh, it's done very well here. Yeah. I just wish Frankie had been like a more alluring character. Because 
Kira is turning the sexiness stuff up to 11 in this episode. And I, I, I kind of thought it would be fun if, if Frankie Eyes had been, like, just as sexy. Like if Frankie Eyes were played by Robert Redford. Right. And there was actually a threat that that he was seducing Kira. That would have been interesting. The, yeah. I don't have anything to worry about here, do I? <laughs> what are your intentions toward? <laughs> well, she's not my wife yet, but I, I you know, I'm hoping... Eventually, I couldn't help but notice you hitting on my queen. <laughs> See, I can write gambling-related dialogue, too. <laughs> You're starting to aggravate me, pal. So they, they get everyone together. Uh, Vic Fontaine is, is still routinely getting beat up by these guys, so he's, like, icing himself. But, like, pretty much the whole crew, minus Cisco plus Cassidy, mm-hmm. is here. And they they kind of hatch a plan. Like, this is going to be an Ocean's Eleven-style thing. The way we get rid of Frankie Eyes in the logic of the game is that we have Frankie Eyes fall afoul of the the higher-ups in the Mafia and, in so doing, you know, make himself uh, disappear and wind up in a hole in the desert somewhere. It's an indirect way to solve their problem. It's like circular firing squad, the the bad guys, mm-hmm. and not taking them out directly is right. the idea. So what they've got to do is knock the casino over, steal the million dollars in the bank vault, and in so doing, make Mr. Zemo want to eliminate Frankie Eyes. It's all starting to make sense. The episode does a good job of touring us around all the sets that are required to pull off the heist. And this is even before the montage of of the heist going on in our imaginations. Like, the world of the hotel is very lived in by the time we actually have to go through with the thing. I thought that was nicely done. Yeah, and, and so much of what Vic Fontaine's vibe is has been established that the the ways they kind of pervert that to make it the Frankie Eyes version of these of these sets. Yeah, they try to biff tan in it, don't they? Yeah, and and it feels like a violation. Like we as viewers like want to return to the established normal. Yeah, but that's the problem with uh, introducing a character who doesn't obey the norms of a society and and you start to realize all of the agreements you had were were verbal and non-binding right these norms were never codified in a way that maybe in retrospect they should have been uh the codification of of mourn is <laughs> what i'm primarily interested in on a deep space nine podcast ben mm. so kira and frankie get closer and closer kira Kira starts this episode in her holodeck crooner look, and quickly they realize that they need more couture for her to be in because she gets uh, she gets several like very glamorous dresses in this episode. As Frankie starts like showing her the cash counting room in the casino and stuff, as the only primary lady character on the show that remains. I think that's a fortunate spot for Nana Visitor to be in. Like, she gets all of the attention of the costume designer yeah. here. I mean, outside of Cassidy Yates, whose costuming is is a little more low-key. Yeah, she's. I thought, I thought it was kind of surprising they didn't... Um, I mean, I think that it maybe is an attempt at just making her look period-appropriate, but 
I mean, part of this episode is about how period appropriate is a concept that is a bit broken in this game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Cassidy is so much less glamorous in the way they did her makeup and costume. Yeah, and I wonder to what extent an actor encourages or discourages that. Yeah. Her role in this episode is to uh, cozy up to the casino guard that stands by the door to the cash room. And she uh, there's a very fun scene where she just hits on him relentlessly. You have the body of an athlete. Really, really gasses him up. I thought that this interaction was very fun and funny. And... Uh, and it and that it, like leads right into a scene of Chi-Chi shoving a an unsatisfactory Philly cheesesteak into the face of a vested casino employee. Close a cheesesteak. I don't care who you are. If you aren't delighted by the image of a person hitting another person with a sandwich, like <laughs> that is just great. Yeah. That is big fun. Mike Starr, the actor that plays Tony Chi-Chi, is. Uh, a, 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 a really great Hollywood that guy. He's in a bunch of Coen Brothers movies. I, I'm always delighted to see him on screen. As fun as a scene like this is, my production heart can't help but wince. Like, there's sandwich continuity to consider. There's <laughs> the the mess that a sandwich makes when you hit someone with it that you must clean up in order yeah, to reset yeah. the scene. Like, there's more going on here than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, well, crucially, I think and I think this is probably part of why the sandwich did not meet his high sandwich standards. <laughs> it's not very cheesy. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, if, it, if you're going to have a cheese steak, you want there to be some cheese on it. You want it wit whiz. And, <laughs> and that clearly was a little bit dry, huh? Yeah. He, uh, he smacks this guy with the sandwich and turns around to see Odo, who introduces Tony to Esri. And Tony gives her the classic cheesesteak handshake. <laughs> It's not going to get better than that, Ben. <laughs> um, and uh, and she's she's there looking for a job. That's her cover. She's going to be a cocktail waitress. And Odo, having impressed Chi-Chi with all his stretchy arm magic, is uh, in a position to lobby on Esri's behalf. You know, I I neglected to mention Esri as a recipient of a of a loud costume. And she sure as shit has one as soon as she gets this job as a server. That's true. Yeah, her like civilian clothes are are pretty unremarkable, I think. But then when when she's in the Vegas like the like the kind of waitress in Vegas that is being put forth as showgirl adjacent, right? Um, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty outre look. Later on, there's a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where there's like an intermediate costume choice where the crew wears TNG season one collection vacation wear. Yeah. Vic Fontaine's suite, which is such a weird break in the costume continuity of the episode. I really couldn't figure out why they pivoted into that. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that scene, cause, but like specifically, Cisco shows up in something yeah. that is like not anything close to 1962, uh-huh. and is much more close to Picard going to Risa, uh, right. you know, during a cold month or something like that. Right. But first, he has to be warmed up to the idea of of making a grand entrance. What are you doing now? Oh! 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 Oh!
and that is the next scene we get, which is between Cisco and Cassidy. And he explains what his real misgivings are about being interested in this game. He's never gone into the Vic Fontaine program. And I think it's very interesting because we know that Cisco like authorized its running continuously because of what it did for Nog. Uh, but he has a real problem with the fact that 1962 Vegas was not a nice place if you had black skin. I can't believe how we called this shot. I thought it was a joke (laughs) that we were doing. And now it's real. It's very interesting, right? Because, like, this is a, like, this really reminds me of a kind of leitmotif that we come back to a lot on Friendly Fire, our hit war movie podcast, which is, like, if you are doing a history movie and you revise something about history or allied an ugly truth about history to make the story more fun, does that do the audience a disservice or not? And Cisco is firmly on it does the audience a disservice side of the argument. And Cassidy argues very persuasively to the contrary in this scene in a, in a way that I thought was really good. Like I, I was like, shit. Friendly Fire's been batting this idea around for like at least a year and a half, and Cassidy just had a very forceful argument that I don't think we've ever really articulated. You're supposed to help your friends when they're in trouble. Cisco's like, have you heard the Overlord episode of Friendly Fire? Uh, It's in the donor feed, Cassidy, uh, so you're going to have to support the show the way I have. But uh, it's, it's something that really bumped me out. Clearly. Yeah, Cisco is a Max Fun donor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Cisco's feelings are strong. This isn't just a, I would prefer not to hear about the hobby that you guys are interested in because I'm just not interested in the same hobbies as you. It is a very direct kind of uh, repudiation of the idea of this being a thing, which is interesting that he's been simmering on this for as long as he has. Right, like... It's almost immaterial to Nog, right? Like, Nog is an alien, so segregation is not going to be a issue that would have affected him ever because he comes from a totally different planet that never dealt with it. But Cisco is very conscious of the history of black people on Earth. And I think that that's, like, such an interesting distinction. And, and also interesting in the context of how far in the future this show is set. Like, he is thinking back hundreds of years, and it's still a very present and important right. issue for him. The idea of, like, the Ben Cisco bat signal being lit has to do with the plan. I mean, everyone has a role to play in this heist, but they need they need a whale is what they need. They need, and they need someone to play that whale. It's Ben Cisco that ends up doing that. No. Exactly what do you need me to do? Yeah, and the argument that Cassidy makes on behalf of going in is like there is a way to think about a better version of the past that doesn't dishonor the memory of the struggles that made the future better. And I think he finds that persuasive. Like he actually listens to her and changes his mind. It's so interesting that this isn't a why didn't Picard play poker with his crew for seven seasons until the very last episode. Like, there's never that wistful separation between the captain and his crew in play here. 
and I I kind of missed that. Yeah. You know, like there is there's a very like this when he enters the scene when he enters Vic's condo uh, with a flourish and everyone's happy to see him. Like that's a great moment, but there's never that corresponding sadness that comes with you know I'm I'm apart from my crew because I have to be because of rank being associated with this. It is very clearly right. uh, a line between the two dots. The dot of 60s Vegas is racist and I don't want to participate and where my crew is is choosing to enjoy their free time. Well, and like this show is set in a context now that is so different. Like Picard was in some battles in TNG, but TNG was never in the context of a war. Mm-hmm. And like Cisco has to look at all of these people every day and know that he may need to send them to their death. And I feel like that separation must be something that is a much bigger gulf between a wartime captain versus a peacetime captain. It's true. But but the war feels so far away, Adam, because we are in 1962 Vegas where That's right. uh, they are going over the uh, Italian job style uh, run through of, of the ideal way the plan goes down. And this is a... A, a very like by the numbers here's here's what the plan is and then here is them executing what the plan is kind of kind of back half to this episode take us through it again you got it pally this scene is a delight every time in, yeah in every show in every movie you love to see it i love heist movies for this scene part of the the montage is Worf sitting at home alone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just enjoying a plate of gach by himself <laughs> Playing a little Melota on his home pod. No one invited Worf. Yeah, it's too bad. Made me sad. He, he knows how to get down in a casino. He's been to the Royale. Oh, yeah. I mean, the scene that we love so much where we see the run through is followed up by all of our characters practicing their roles, which was almost as enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. And then, like, the, the quintessential slow motion strut down the promenade. The reservoir dog shot. Yeah, and they walk past Quarks in a way that I, I loved. I loved seeing Quark filling up hooves with uh, with frozen <laughs> daiquiris. Yeah, for everyone. Multiple hooves for Morn. <laughs> One for each stomach. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a scene at the end where Morn barfs up some hoof drink to to refill somebody. I mean, there's a moment where Quark mentions that something big is going on in the hollow suite, and you get the business person's sense of a character missing out on profits associated with what, what might be happening. But also, like, I think socially he's feeling left out the way anyone would. Yeah. He does not get a job here. Nog gets a job. Yeah. Jake does not get a job. For some reason, Jake, not involved. It's so wild that, like, Sirach Lofton is still in the opening credits of this show, and I feel like Nog has had more and more interesting episodes at this point in the series than Jake. Yeah. So they, they strut into the Hollow Suite, and we get the, the in-practice version of the plan, which I think we should go through. Um, it's all kinds of fucked up right away. Yeah, so... Kira's job is to distract Frankie Eyes, and she is wearing a very distracting spaghetti strap dress. Very al dente. Yeah. He immediately starts talking about how he wishes there was even less of it. 
and so she's got to like kind of get him off in a corner and get him get him away from the bar and the gambling floor because uh, they don't want him casting any scrutiny on things. I'm glad you like what you see. The now visitor credibly distracts Frankie Eyes with the need for more alcohol. <laughs> like everything is believable about this scene. Yeah, uh, I found her very distracting. Right. O'Brien and Cassidy are doing a table game next to each other, but their role is to portray people who are strangers to each other. Right. Which they do credibly. Right, because I don't think they've ever been in a scene together. <laughs> I know. Like, it's interesting. No one makes anything of Cassidy being a criminal. <laughs> like an actual felon is what Cassidy Yates is, and no one uses that as a strength. No, yeah. Uh O'Brien, like, is a guy that we know spends a lot of time in the Hollow Suite, but he also seems to be, like, the least capable of, s- <laughs> like, sinking into his character Yeah, in a funny way. Like, he is, he is, like, visibly nervous in this scene. He's, like, standing half up out of his stool and looking around the room and, like, making eye contact with all of his accomplices. It's like, come on, chief, simmer down. Like, be cool here. Like, this is, this is game time, man. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing about him that's been in our face from the start. Like, this is another separated shoulder kayaking program for him. Maybe he's just not good at hollow. Maybe that's it. Yeah, he like he can never remember whether you're supposed to press A or X to jump. And Maybe he's always separating his shoulder no matter what the program is. Like, yeah, yeah. hit me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, 100 on red. Ah! <laughs> sure, I'll have, a, I'll have a third martini. Oh, God. The answer to this crime Crossword clue is Aria. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Bashir orders his martini that he's supposed to order from Esri. He orders it stirred, not shaken. Obvious reference to James Bond, but I think that James Bond orders shaken, not stirred specifically because you would stir a martini. I don't think right. you would need to specify stirred, not shaken if you just said Give me a martini. Esri knows this, which is why she shakes the martini onto the floor. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, like, much like that, uh, that Klingon shuttle pilot in TNG just makes super evil eye contact with him and pours it on his shoes. Right. <laughs> uh, she, gets, she gets the two martinis from the bar. She's heading back, and this is where one of the interruptions to the plan happens. She's, uh, she's about to give the doctor his beverage when she collides with another uh, patron of the casino knocking the tray which is odo and the two drinks onto the floor and the tray goes ow fuck (laughs) and everybody's onto them from that point and they're like what kind of tray says ow fuck when uh, Odo turns himself into a helicopter and the spinning <laughs> blades decapitate <laughs> everyone involved. It is just a bloodbath. And, uh, Frankie gets it, and that's the end of the episode. I love how time feels when the plan begins because as the mess-ups mount you feel the compression of time in such a way that applies to the scene that follows. Like, it's not just that shit is fucked up, it's that 
it's also that Howard isn't working the shift. Right. And it's also that Nog can't figure out the safe because it has a weird tumbler he wasn't prepared for. Like, as the the train cars of the plan start crashing into each other, time works differently in these scenes, and it really amplifies how stressful things become. It's really well done. I love Esri's gambit to get the substitute money counter to drink the Ipecac, mm-hmm. but... I hate that Odo doesn't just suggest like, oh, I could just get inside the safe and undo the locking mechanism. This has everything to do with the rules that we agree upon, though. Like, and, Oh, and that's a great I think, point. I think to enjoy the episode means subscribing to those rules from the top. Like, everyone has agreed not to use their special power. Like, we're not using phasers, and Odo's not... Odo can go as far as becoming the tray, but he can't become the instrument that actually fixes the problem. Right. He can't be Deus Ex Odo. <laughs> <laughs> so then, and then the the big uh, catastrophe happens, which is that Mister Zemo shows up to the casino a day early. He is now in the picture in a way that uh, is a dismaying surprise to everyone involved in the heist yeah i mean speaking of of james bond references this guy's from diamonds are forever yeah what a face on this guy a hell of a face i for like a split second i was like did they put mark alamo in like crazy old man loaf yeah uh that's like unusually good for this show but uh but no this is uh this is mark lawrence He's in a bunch of uh, Bond films. How are Any problems with him? Good get for the show. Yeah. He's very lived in as a character, it seems. Yeah. Can really smell the coffee and nicotine off of his breath. Yeah. Sadly, Mark Lawrence's legacy is somewhat sullied by the fact that he ratted on his fellow Reds to the House Un-American Activities Committee. Oh, no, Star Trek. Don't do that. Yeah, don't... <laughs> I mean, he was blacklisted and he got fucked over, but... Um... Wow. Uh, like, Did not know that. Yeah. Interesting reading about him. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 You hear everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. Anyways, the, all of the timing kind of comes down to Nog. Nog is the, is the linchpin. He's got to crack this safe, and they, they blow their eight-minute window. And so now it's all about, like, what can we do to distract everyone in this casino while we buy ourselves some time? And Cisco figures it out. Though he comes from a moneyless society, he realizes that those of us unfortunate enough to grow up in capitalism will sell our mothers down the river for money flying in the air. He makes it rain, Mm -hmm. which has got to be the most fun thing to do. In a casino, especially. Big, big fun. And it is it is exactly the distraction they, they need. Uh, Mr. Zemo is is pissed, and they finally crack the safe, clear the money out, and, uh, and the plan is just go throw it away, because, like, who gives a shit? I feel like they should have made Vic hold. Deal me in. <laughs> because Vic Fontaine provided the seed capital for whale cisco to enter the casino i thought that was such an interesting detail i'm with you on that and how fun would it have felt to give vic the giant suitcase of cash extremely the plan as stated is to throw it in a garbage can outside the casino yeah 
I think you got to make someone's day. And I'm not saying it has to be Vic, but like give huge tips to the valets. Make it rain like, like the way Cisco did. You got you to gotta do something good. You can't just throw it away. Yeah. I mean, I think that like that's the thing that kind of breaks the logic. Because uh, like this is all based on Ocean's Eleven, the original Rat Pack uh-huh. version. And uh-huh. I, I, like the thing that is great about that movie is that they fucking blow it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they wind up as penniless as they started. And, right. and this is like a television episode where they have to provide like more catharsis in less time. So, uh, so what they, what they wind up succeeding in doing is making Frankie and Tony look like total assholes to the out of town mobsters. And, uh, and they get kind of, perp walked out of the building and the program reverts to normal and uh and the vic fontaine logo reappears on the curtain behind the stage i had to admit i didn't like the moment where as soon as frankie leaves the simulation it changes back yeah i don't know why and i don't have another like i have no idea how to make it better but no, I think it's it, the same thing of like when you shoot a guy in a video game and he like falls over and then like the body disappears. It, it's like that's it feel- got to be it. The impermanence of the stakes. Like yeah, the stakes should have sustained. Like it, it, it should be a jack in the box that like there should be an intermediary scene where we clean up the mess of what has happened and we fix it. Yeah, and hang the Vic Fontaine logo back up on the wall. Right. But I guess you you need to obey the rules as set up and because we because we blurred into the Frankie Eyes version of the casino we must blur back to the original version. Yeah. So uh and and also partly I think this is service in service of the showrunner wanting enough time for this button scene yeah. where Vic calls Cisco up on the stage and we'll play a little song for you about the nastiest, freakiest little sex puppet I know. Cisco reveals himself to be a fucking incredible singer. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Come a day of It sounds like they're both singing the same part. Like, one person isn't taking the harmony and the other person... Like, they aren't harmonizing with each other. Yeah, it does, it's not a duet. It's like two people yeah. singing one song and just kind of passing the verse back and forth. That's an interesting choice. And I, and I imagine you make that decision based on the range of, uh, of Avery Brooks. Like, you need to do what he's able to do in this scene yeah they really luxuriate in the song yeah and the crew reacts shots to the song like they are fuck like the crew is loving it it's the most incredible performance of song in the history of song as far as the crew is concerned it's what makes the moment where vic tells Cisco to leave through the kitchen that much more hurtful <laughs> after like you think everything is different and better from this scene but it's not no it's not Cisco got his wish it's a accurate depiction of 1962 <laughs> Vegas in the end 
Like, and that's his revenge on the crew. Like, <laughs> like enjoy your Vic Fontaine program now, assholes. And then drops the mic. Yeah, Nog is probably not going to be permitted. <laughs> yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do yeah, it. I mean, there's a contract involved in in liking this episode, though. Like, you have to give yourself over to it. You have to obey the rules of it. Because if you do any kind of deeper thinking about it, you're not going to enjoy it. And this episode isn't for you if you can't. Like, it, yeah. it's a Mirror Universe episode in a strange way, right? Like, obey the rules and you're in for a good time. But like a, a cynical, a more cynical take, I don't think would have the appetite for an episode like this. But I did. Yeah. I'm not a cynic, Ben. I'm not the cynic of this show. Whoa, hot take. Uh, I also liked the episode. That was very enjoyable. You can't expect Vic Fontaine is going to be in many more eps this season if we're going to start the war back up, right? Right. Yeah. Is this the goodbye to Vic Fontaine? I, I think Vic Fontaine plays a big role uh, for the rest of the season, but oh. that that is a vague memory. So right. I, uh, it's been a long time since I've watched Deep Space Nine, and uh, and I don't I don't remember every single instant of it the way I remember every single instant of TNG. Oh, yeah. Down cold. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what Vic Fontaine gets up to in the in the back half of this final season of Deep Space Nine. But uh, we also got to see what our viewers have gotten up to in the Priority One message section of the show, Adam. Do you want to head over there with me and check that out? Yeah, speaking of back halves, that's when the back half of an episode begins, the P1s. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, Ben, our first priority one message is from two people embarrassed to receive a P1 at the SF Greatest Gen Con 2. Oh, man. And it is to the amazing Twitter artwork supplier and her probably equally talented physicist husband. <laughs> the message goes like this. Happy wedding anniversary. We're so happy to share Trek and TGG with you. Lockdown blows, but we've enjoyed sharing our thoughts on the Damar show and sending you awful Voyager screen cap memes. <laughs> In the words of the man in longest and therefore most stable on-screen Star Trek marriage, Chief O'Brien, <laughs> marriage is the greatest adventure of them all. Wow. Beautiful. Uh, two people embarrassed to receive a P1 at the SF Greatest Gen Con 2. A treasured memory by you and me. Yeah. That was the last time we performed live, right? Live P1s. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. I think we missed our, our deadline with that. That was... Uh... They, they wanted that to go out August 12th. Damn. Damn, Daniel. Uh, so, sorry, amazing Twitter artwork supplier and probably equally talented physicist's husband. Uh, but it's the thought that counts. Right. Uh, our next Priority One message, also targeted for August, this one late August, is from Marnie. And it's to Dr. Alan Davis, PhD. Goes like this. Congratulations on finishing your astrophysics PhD, you giant nerd. Giant nerd. I am perpetually grateful for that your communicator ringtone went off in the physics common room your freshman year and jump-started this beautiful friendship. I also gladly welcome you to the ranks of high school physics teachers. 
We are lucky to have you. Wow! When you're in the physics common room and your ringtone is Star Trek Communicator, I think about 40 people reach for their phones. Yeah, out of the 40 people that are in the room, right? Right. (laughs) Very confusing. Wow, congratulations, Dr. Alan Davis, comma, PhD. That's a huge accomplishment. And uh, thank you for teaching science to the kids. Giant nerd. That rules. Doing good. Congrats. Yeah. Well, if you would like to congratulate somebody or do any other kind of fun stuff with a P1, we encourage you to head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 bucks to promote something. And uh, we really appreciate it because it helps us keep the lights on around here. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Chief O'Brien allowed himself to be strip-searched at the end of this episode, which I think <clears throat> is emblematic of how far everyone's willing to go to obey the rules of the world that they're in. Yeah, they cut the scene where he took his trousers off and his shoulder dislocated. He strip-searched. Yeah. And he says it at the end. Yeah, he does. I wonder how often that happens on the uh, on the program he does with Bashir. <laughs> you have to think pretty often, right? What about you, Ben? Uh, my drunk Shimoda is Nog for the specific close-up of Nog practicing on his fake safe door. The, uh, the clenched pointy Ferengi teeth and the ear to the wall look in the ECU just made me laugh out loud. I loved that moment and uh, and, and Nog got my drunk Shimoda just for that. I love that scene because of the shot reverse shot of it. Like yeah. from his perspective, you see the safe door and then from behind you see that it's a mock-up. Yeah, and I that, love that. the way they do that reveal is really fun. Yeah, because like when he opens the door, you think that that's like a fancy edit and then you realize like, oh no, it's just a door to nothing. <laughs> it's it's weird like how in Star Trek we're trained for the comp. The, yeah. It looked like a comp there, but it was real. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. That was great sleight of hand in the on the part of the production. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm gonna head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, no sleight of hand involved in the sequence of episodes we watch. We always watch them one after the other. It's the <laughs> way that we watch them that changes, and it's the game of buttholes, Will of the Prophets, that tells us how. Much like a casino, this is a game of chance where the house always wins, and the house are the friends of DeSoto. It's true, Ben. Uh, we are currently on square 50, Wow! according to the game. Halfway uh, up the board. Yeah, we've got some stuff ahead, 
and uh, the Quarks Bar Drunk episode is the closest to us. Wow. What episode are we going to review next, though? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 16, Inter-Arma Enim Silent Legus. That's just a classic Star Trek episode title right there, if I've ever heard one. That's a classic, somebody is going to tweet us and tell me that I pronounced it incorrectly episode title. (laughs) Uh, That's a great way to get muted. Yeah, sure is. Uh, The description is as follows. Bashir becomes an unwitting pawn in a deadly game between Romulan intelligence forces and a covert Starfleet organization. I smell Section 31 in this description. Sounds like someone's going to get pissed. (laughs) I think I see Admiral Beltbuckle in this thumbnail, too. Oh, that's fun. Gotta bring that guy back. Yeah. Uh... Adam, do you want to uh, get your dice out and roll that bone? Tell us how we will be watching this episode. I'm already there, Ben. Uh, I've I've removed all my clothing. <laughs> I've strip searched myself to find the die, uh, which I have. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And uh, I'm going to give it a roll right now. Boy, big roll by me. I've rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts the runabout between the Quarks Bar episode and the looking at each other during episode. Uh-oh. Uh, so we're on square 55 right now, and that means it is a regular old episode for you and me. Hell yeah. Well, uh, I am looking forward to it. I can't wait for next week's app. But in the meantime, if you want more of our Star Trek bullshit, listen to The Greatest Discovery. And if you want more of our general bullshit, listen to our hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire, that we do with our buddy John Roderick. Gotta thank some people uh, who helped make this show the program that it is. I'm not going to even describe it (laughs) as good or bad. Just people involved in its production include uh, people like Adam Ragusea. Sure. He's one of the reasons why uh, the music is so fun and interesting. Of course, uh, you and I were inspired as much as he was by Dark Materia, who Indeed. made the Picard song. Yeah. Uh, we got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who is on the payroll now, running the At Greatest Trek Instagram and Twitter accounts. Your P1 money basically goes directly to Bill Tilly. That's true. We wouldn't would not be able to do this without the generosity of the friends of DeSoto and... Bill Tilly wouldn't have that uh, nice supplemental social media money coming in every month. Yeah. Uh, so if you'd, if you'd like to support the show, either get a P1 or head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a monthly contribution. We really, really appreciate it. It helps get us through. Yeah. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. See, so yeah, Stair stepped it back down again. Mm-hmm. That's a nice callback, right? Yeah, that was good. And an episode of The Greatest Generation, which uh, probably going to have to remain secret from the rest of the episodes. <laughs> Can't tell anyone about this one. Yeah. You could listen to it, but then we'd have to kill you. Yeah, so uh, we don't want to... No downloads next week, okay? I would say set up your support at MaximumFun.org first. Right. Uh, before listening to the episode, and then it'll... The, the auto subscription will just continue to play out. Yeah, that's, after that's you're the way dead. to do it. Yeah, um, your estate will handle the rest. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.